God is good. His mercy is more. Yeah. Let's turn together to Acts chapter 10. We'll be looking at a source of text from verses 34 through 43. And find that place in your Bible. When you find that, let me hear you say amen. Acts chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 34 through 43. Count Zinzendorf, that name might not sound familiar to you, it might sound funny to you. Count Zinzendorf. He was a bishop of the Moravian Church and would often offer his missionaries that he sent out on the mission field a word of advice. His instruction and his word of advice was the title of this sermon today, which is Preach the Gospel, Die and Be Forgotten. We should remember that it is the gospel of Christ that is the fuel of everything that we do. We should remember that everything that we do is due to the power of the gospel. What should be remembered a hundred years from now is the truth of the gospel. Not how great of a pastor, not how great of a preacher, not how great a deacon, not how great a member of the church that you, that you were. It is a quote that I think is helpful to understand the importance of humility and to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is this, that Jesus saves. Simple. It is a reminder to keep the main thing the main thing. And so this sermon is taken from Acts 10. It is a reiteration of the words of the Apostle Peter. And in reinforcement from the statement of Count Zinzendorf that says, Preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Not only preach the gospel, but also live the gospel, die and be forgotten. Now that doesn't mean that our legacy shouldn't be saturated with the gospel. Because our legacy should be when we, are die, when we die, it should be about Jesus and not who we are in the kingdom of Christ. It should be about Christ first and foremost. So I'll ask you if you will, let's stand as we read God's word together. In honor of the reading of God's word, we stand to recognize that this is God's infallible, inerrant word. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the ability to to reach the heart and minds of man and reveal who we are. So let's read together. Verse 34 says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know that what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee after baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are his witnesses of all that he did, both in country and of the Jews in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to, to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and of the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Father, we pray that you will use this selection of scriptures to highlight the importance that there is a mandate for us to take the gospel to go out of our way to share that good news. And Father, that the, the gospel brings humility. The gospel brings us a place to a place of humility before you. That at the end of the day, Lord, our legacy will not be so much about who we are and who we have been, but we'll be about Jesus Christ and the gospel. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, here is the moment of truth building up to this time from all of chapter 10 the time that the gentiles will receive the gospel of jesus and and are being saved because of it this is what we might title the gentile pentecost and here's a snapshot so far of where we have been on our journey in acts the disciples have met in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. They met together as Jesus told them to get together and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. They met in that upper room and the Holy Spirit filled the place and filled them. They indwelt the church at Pentecost. The Lord had sent out the apostles as ambassadors towards the end of the earth. That is their goal, to go to the ends of the earth with the good news. They began to live in gospel community as the way. They began to live one with another and fellowship one with another. And they had all things in common in this gospel community. And Acts 2 and verse 45 reflects this. But what was the fellowship that they had together? We talk about fellowship often. What is fellowship for the believer? Fellowship for the believer is not so much having a meal together or even meeting together, but the fellowship, the commonality is Jesus. That is what our fellowship is in, is Christ. The community and their fellowship together was that Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, had brought them together, the bond that they share together. Now, because they are sent out and because they are preaching, people are being healed in the name of Jesus. Peter and John become the uh, primary disciples or apostles that we see. They're honing their skills as preachers of the gospel. And over and over again, when people hear the good news in light of opposition, in light of being arrested, the Bible says that people were praising God and people were being saved. People were turning to the Lord over and again. Many signs and wonders were being done through the hands of the apostles. Many wonders and miracles to authenticate the message of the apostles. And again, people are being saved through this work. The apostles are arrested. The Lord brings them out of prison. We see in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, 
every day in the temple from house to house. They did not cease teaching and preaching that, that the Christ is Jesus. He's Messiah. The deacons are elected in Acts chapter 6. The deacons are elected and called out. Stephen, who is a newly elected deacon, he is arrested and he becomes the first martyr for the, for the cause of, of Christ and for the gospel. And his death sparks this gospel expansion to the uttermost parts of the world. And Christ followers begin to scatter. And as they scatter, one, one Saul began, Saul of Tarsus began to, to hunt them down. The persecutor Saul met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and he is miraculously saved and he becomes the Apostle Paul we see first used in Acts chapter 13. And now in chapter 10 we are knee deep in the narrative and the exchange between Cornelius and Peter. The Lord had revealed to Peter in a vision that what God has made do not call common or unclean more than just food laws as prescribed in the Old Testament, more than just laws pertaining what you can kill and what you can eat and what is clean there, but having to do with all types of people everywhere and in every part of the world. Revealing that all types of people from every tribe, every nation, every walk of life can be recipients of salvation through Jesus to repent of their sin, to turn to Him, and to repent of the sin of partiality and the sin of discrimination. Today we are in the house of Cornelius, and Peter now understands the vision, and he is about to reveal the reason that he has arrived. He is to bring the good news. In the Greek, this term is where we get our word evangelism from. It is the word euangelion, uh, evangelical, good news, evangelism. It is good news. And so now we find the reason that Peter here is at the house of Cornelius, why he has arrived, and he will demonstrate and preach a couple different aspects of the life of Jesus. He will preach of Jesus and the good works that he did. And then he will preach of how the Lord Jesus was killed, put in the grave, and resurrected, and how that gospel brings humility to those who hear the good news. So first, go out of the way for the good news. Go out of the way for the good news. We see this in verse 34. Peter opened his mouth, and this is what he began to preach. He didn't preach Peter. He didn't preach John. He didn't preach the apostles. He preached Jesus. He didn't preach good deacons. He didn't preach good elders. He didn't preach good programs. He didn't preach all the calendar that is available through the local church. He preached Jesus. And so, go out of the way to bring the good news. Peter opens his mouth and he said, Truly now I understand why God shows no partiality. There is no clean and unclean in the vision of God. What God has made is not common or unclean. He understands the lesson of the vision that he received. He knows the Lord does not show partiality. The light and the illumination that has been given to really every child of God in Christ Jesus who has been saved and transformed by the Holy Spirit, the light and the illumination that Peter received from the Lord has cleared away the fog of uncertainty and to traditions of bad interpretation. 
It was not until Peter crossed into this threshold of Cornelius and looked upon the house of Cornelius and this mixed bag of people who were there that he understands, he sees the great truth. But I will ask you for a moment, rewind through biblical history with me for just a few seconds. Throughout biblical history, the Lord has always, always welcomed those who would worship who would worship Him, Jew and Gentile alike. Through history, God has always welcomed those who would repent and follow after the one true God. Yes, God called Israel to be His special people, His chosen people, His covenant people, but only to the usage of pointing others to Himself. He used them of pointing others to the one true God who is to be feared and to be worshipped. And ultimately, they were God's chosen people, not because they were special in themselves, to bring forth the Messiah through their lineage. Why did God choose Israel? Why did God choose the Jew? One simple answer to this question. Because He is sovereign. And so, if God does not show partiality, and we do, favoritism, discrimination, if God does not show partiality, and we do, then what does that make us when we demonstrate favoritism, partiality, and discrimination? What does that make us? Well, it means that we are in sin, doesn't it? It means we are in sin. James speaks to this in chapter 2 of his letter from verses 1 through 9. In fact, verse 9 says this. It's pretty clear. The Bible says this, But if you show partiality or favoritism, you are, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So great. What does this partiality decree? What does this no partiality now decree? What does this what does this uh, force upon us? What does this impose upon us in a good way? What does this mean for you and I? If you asked that, I'm glad you did. I'm going to tell you anyway. In verse 35 it says, But in every nation, every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is what? Acceptable to Him. Rightful worship. Now I want you to understand that this does not mean that Cornelius is saved by his good works. Peter is not lifting up good works above faith. Remember that this word for fear is indicative of rightful worship. It is rightful worship and not right works. So for Peter, Cornelius' actions are used as a stepping stone to further the gospel of Jesus. If the Bible tells us that Cornelius' gift was good enough in itself to be acceptable above and beyond in a salvific way in the eyes of God, he would never have to call Peter to his home. And so, in today's context, the one who fears God and is acceptable to Him is the one who has been dedicated and given to the Son, Jesus, as Lord and Savior of their life. They have been forgiven of their sins. They are a child of God in Christ. That is the one today who is acceptable in the eyes of God. But Peter sees this stepping stone 
And he enters his plea with those who are waiting on his words. Notice in verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus, he is Lord of all. Jesus came to preach the kingdom, and the kingdom is at hand. He came to preach the kingdom of God. Remember when Jesus sent out the disciples by two? Remember that? He sent them to homes. He said, if they will not invite you in your home, go out, wipe the dust off your feet, and move on. They were preaching the gospel, it says. They were preaching the kingdom has, is here, the gospel is here, and that he himself, Jesus, is this good news. He is the kingdom that has come. The purpose of Jesus to come and to preach the good news, that was his purpose, and he is the good news. So his purpose for coming was not to heal people. It was not to turn the water into wine. It was not to walk on water or feed 4,000 into 5,000. It was not primarily for those things. His coming was not primarily to heal people, but to preach. If you remember in Luke chapter 4, the crowds began to congregate around Jesus. And he was, he was healing all that would come and casting out demons. He was healing people. And the crowds begin to congregate around the Lord Jesus and he searched and people were searching for him and the Lord went up into a desolate place, the Bible says, to get alone and to pray. Upon returning, the Lord says in Luke chapter 4 and verse 43, listen to what the Lord says. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. Preach, for I was sent for this purpose. This is why I was sent. I wonder if the Lord Jesus was to listen in on the way that we handle, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I wonder if the Lord Jesus listened in on the way that we handle our prayer concerns and our list. I wonder what the Lord Jesus would see of that. Pray for the sick, yes. Intercede for the sick, yes. But how many, I hit a challenge again, how many of us would pray for their spiritual vitality and health? So-and-so is eat up with cancer, but do they know the Lord? Are they walking close and clean with the Lord? How are they handling this? The purpose was to preach. Peter continues with this brief overview in the Lord, the Lord Jesus' ministry. And he says in verse 37, You yourself know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning with from Galilee after the baptism that John the Baptist proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So John proclaimed of, as, of, of Jesus. You remember the baptism of Jesus? When John the baptizer saw Jesus Christ Behold the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sins of the world. And this Lamb is the one who has come to take the sin of the world as the spotless Lamb. It hasn't been too long that we worked through the book of Leviticus. And if you can't see Jesus as that bloodied Lamb in Leviticus, you aren't looking hard enough. He is the spotless sacrificial lamb, the substitutionary atonement. He became sin 
in our place who had no sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. That is the core, that is the crux of the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus. He stood in your place so you didn't have to die in your sin. And so, after the baptism of Jesus, immediately the Lord came out of the water from his immersion. And behold, the Bible says that the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And so far, Peter has focused on the earthly ministry of Jesus in these first verses. And Peter proclaimed of Jesus as the Messiah. He proclaimed Christ as Messiah and refers to the miracles which he had performed as the proof that he is indeed Lord. The miracles authenticated the work and the words of Jesus, specifically in the resurrection itself. And although Jesus is worthy of praise, is Jesus worthy of praise? Amen. Let me hear you. Amen. If Jesus is worthy of praise, and he is, he did not seek applause. In, in fact, there's portions of, of Mark where he would perform a miracle and tell the recipient to keep it quiet. What they call the messianic secret. Keep it, keep it quiet. So he did not seek applause. He did not seek wealth. He did not seek comfort. His purpose was to preach, die, and rise again. And how we unpack that is part of who we are as theologians, as we all are. See, in God's economy, I submit to you that there has always been good news. There has always been good news. He has always had good news to humanity. You put your finger on any timeline in history, and there has always been good news. If you were to look in the Garden of Eden at our first Parents were created, Adam and Eve. Before the fall, the good news was what? The good news was that Adam and Eve could enjoy fellowship with God continually. That's the good news. A continual communion with God all the days that were alive as long as they worshiped and obeyed God. After the fall, after, they, after our first parents willfully disobeyed and we fell into sin, after the fall, it was communion through repentance and sacrifice. Seeking God in repentance and true repentance and, and, and sacrifice. It was being devoted to the Lord and keeping the law and commands that are reflected in Scripture. And that is the law that reflects the nature and character of God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me because He is the only God in existence. I shall have no other idols because they are all dead and inanimate. There is only one God worthy of worship. And in Jesus we find the culmination of the law, the completion of the law, and rightful return to fellowship with God. This is good news. Good news has always been good news. And the good news is Jesus. So it is our task, much like we see with Peter here, to, to live out the gospel. Not only to die, preach, die, and be forgotten, but to live out and express the gospel, express the good news and all that we do. 
not only in our actions, but in our words. And we live in a world today, you know, as I was, as I was reading this and going through my notes, I, I think of the guy who does all the movie commercials, you know, in a world. You know that guy? I'm thinking to myself as I'm looking there, we live in a world that is full of bad news and we need a dose of good news. And you know how you get a dose of good news? Is you preach the gospel to yourself often, if not every day. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for a sinner like me. We thank you, Lord, for being put in that grave and rising again, defeating death, so I might be able to live forever and eternally and a, as a worshiper of, of Jesus. We need good news. Do you know every time that you hear a word from the Lord, from this pulpit, from a brother or sister in Christ, from your Sunday school teacher that is challenging to you and seemingly invasive as if the word has found a bullseye on you, where the world would say that sounded kind of harsh, but is admonition or rebuke or is challenging and seems seemingly evasive. Every time you hear a word like that from God's word, do you know it is good news to the believer? Every time I am challenged, every time I say, whoa, the preacher stepped on my toes today, do you know that that is good news to you as a believer? Why is that? My Bible tells me in Hebrews that God chastens those he loves. God chastens those that belong to him. I believe it is a test of sorts for those who are in Christ. So what is the example that Paul uses here? What is the example that Christ left for us as expressed through these few words of the Apostle Peter in the threshold of the house of Cornelius? What is it that we can lean upon as an example of Christ in these first primary, uh, premier verses that I read to you? Because here's what Jesus did while he was on earth and in his ministry. Christ spent his life doing good within the sphere in which he lived. He knew his context because he was God in flesh. He knew the context. He ministered in his context, sometimes out of the realm of his context. He has taught us in a compelling fashion to do, live that out, to do good wherever we are and to do good whenever we can in Jesus' name. And to express the gospel as we do those good works. In the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, we are not to be engaged in good works randomly or arbitrarily. And listen to what Charles Spurgeon had to say of this in terms of good works like Jesus. He said, have a purpose. Devote thy life to it. Be not an arrow shot at random, but choose your target. Christ's objection, ob object was doing good. This was his eternal purpose, his practical object, his official prerogative, his actual performance. He went out of his way to do good. You must not be content to do good in the regular circle of your movements. Break through the bonds every now and then and do an odd thing. 
So what is Spurgeon saying? He is saying, go out of your context to do good. Go out of your way to do good in the name of Jesus. Go out of your way to express the gospel and proclaim the gospel. Go out of your comfort zone. We use that terminology a lot. Go out of your comfort zone. Go see that neighbor that y'all haven't had uh, good relations over a long time. Go to that person that might not know Jesus. Go to that person. Get out of your comfort zone. Do good. Peter's message to the people so far in terms of good news is that Jesus went about doing good and healing all of those who were pressed by the devil, for God was with him. Will you, here's the challenge, will you, to be like Christ, go out of your way to do good, not for the sake of just doing good. Hear me on that. Not for the sake of doing good so that you might find penance with God or forgiveness and use that good works as an act of being forgiven of your sins. No, but doing good works as an expression and the voice of the gospel. Will you go out of your way? Secondly, we find that humility is in the gospel. Humility is found in the good news itself. Now, to know that salvation is only through Christ alone, through faith alone, through the Word of God alone, through grace alone, to the glory of God alone, is humbling, to say the least. Because you cannot earn your salvation, nor can you deserve it in any way. As Christ is exalted, I want you to think about this in your small groups, in your Sunday school classes today, when Christ is exalted, you know what happens? When Christ is truly exalted, you know what happens? We are humbled. We are humbled. Once Peter's focus moved away from Jesus' earthly ministry, he transitions to the work of the cross. He says that we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him, Jesus, to death by hanging him on a tree. But what did God do? Here's this gospel conjunction yet again. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So remember that some of the work of Jesus here on earth as he preached and as he led his disciples, his apostles, was to make other apostles or other disciples. And a way to do this is to call those apostles to visualize the risen Lord and send them out. They are sent out ones to make disciples. We are as well as the church. We are sent out ones into the world. Now Peter petitions to what the audience knew and to what the apostles knew as well. He made the same claim in Acts chapter 2 verse 32. Made the same claim about the personal witness of himself to the resurrection to the risen Lord at Pentecost. The gospel of Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the dead. This is the gospel and we flesh that out in every area of our life. What does the gospel have to do with our lives? How do we look at our life and what are the implications of the resurrection in our life? What are the implications of the good news in our life and all that, that we do in life? See, the cornerstone of the gospel is Christ crucified and risen. 
And you and I are to think and ponder and to, and to unpack that in every area and to unpack God's Word and to fellowship together and talk about those things. And not only talk about those things, but put those things into action as, as we make disciples. See, I want you to look at the tone that language, and the language that Peter uses because it is unique to this one verse. It, it could be read that God gave him, Jesus, to become manifest or to show openly, to make Jesus manifest in this way. And why is that? Why did Jesus call a ragtag bunch of people to visualize the risen Lord in a tangible way so that there could be no deception, there could be no doubt that Jesus physically and historically bodily rose from the dead. He is alive, people. He is alive. Even though the world will refute that until their dying breath and will try to cast shade on the truth of the resurrection, it is utterly futile to contest the resurrection, being that God openly manifested it openly as well. Now, there was a handful of people who sat with Jesus after the resurrection. They ate with him, they touched him, they saw him, they heard him. In fact, if you were to look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, it talks, it talks of these folks, the apostles. And it says, that which, we, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, the Word, the Logos, the Word, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we looked upon, we touched with our hands, we felt concerning the Word of life, the life was made manifest. We have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Who is, the main, who is it that is made manifest to us? It is the risen Christ. In other words, Peter had credibility to speak authoritatively about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And you know what? You do too. If you are saved, if you are in Christ, you have authority to speak authoritatively. Why? Because God's Word gives us the authority to speak what God has said. Now, what did Jesus sanction to His apostles? He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one anointed by God to judge the living and the dead. He is the reason why Peter is at the threshold of Cornelius' home. He is the reason we're here this morning. We're not here this morning because we serve a dead Savior. We're here because we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. That's why he's there. That's why, that's why, he, why he is compelled to go to the home of Cornelius. That's why men and women around the world today are willing to risk their lives to share the gospel. They're willing to lay their lives down for the sake of the gospel and to die for the proclamation of the good news. In all the world today, there are people who are dying for the cause of Christ, even as I'm preaching this morning. That's why people risk everything for Jesus. Peter claimed, his claim for Jesus is that he is the judge of the Jew and the Gentile, the living and the dead, the clean and the unclean, you may call them. You might call them unclean. He calls them precious in his sight, made in his image and likeness, corrupt to the core, yes. But the creation is good. The core is corrupt. 
Verse 43 in closing. To him all the prophets bear witness through history. They bear witness that everyone who believes in him will have forgiveness of sin through his name. This is glorious news to Cornelius and his home. This is glorious news to you. And I, I remember hearing the gospel, it was glorious news to me when I believed in Jesus. When I trusted in Christ, glorious news. I didn't have to walk around with the bondage and the baggage of sin. I didn't have to walk around being labeled a sinner destined for hell. There's no distinction between people and tongue and creed and color and, and riches or, or whether they're poor. There's no distinction, no partiality. What God has made is not unclean or is not common. And because of Jesus, Gentiles don't have to become Jews. They don't have to become, they don't have to become Jewish or Hebrew. They only have to believe and trust in Jesus Messiah and He is Messiah and judge, he says. He says also in closing of this verse, that in the name of Jesus, people are forgiven of their sins. Salvation is not simply in the name of Jesus, but is expressed by that name. We have, we have a, a trend these days in Christendom that I think is a toxic trend that we will go out in the world, we'll get engaged in the activities of the world, whatever it might be, and we think just because we sprinkle the name of Jesus on something that it's okay. We think somehow if we are engaged in some extracurricular activities and we gather around and just say, Jesus, help us today, that that's all we need in life. Sprinkling the name of Jesus is not suffice to help us think deeply about who He is. It, salvation is not just simply expressed in the name of Jesus. It is all that encompasses the name Jesus. The name of Jesus is packed and loaded with meaning. The name Jesus Christ of Nazareth is packed with meaning. And to say forgiveness through His name is to lean in and lean upon the complete work of Christ on the cross and His resurrection. I just don't want to sprinkle the name of Jesus without thinking of His work on the cross. If I go to a ball game of any sort, or if I get engaged in any extracurricular activity, and I sprinkle the name of Jesus on it, and I have not thought about the work of Christ on the cross or the resurrection, am I taking His name in vain? So Peter's message is the full gospel, the full counsel of God. In today's modern church movement, sadly, there have been a decline in gospel truths. Somehow, churches today think that they have to make God's word relevant enough for the young folks to grab a hold of it. We think that we need to water down the truth. We need to water down the gospel to attract people. But it is the good news. And the good news is what does the attracting. The good news is what does the sustaining. What does the keeping. And we spin our wheels. Listen to this. We're all guilty of this. 
We spin our wheels over and over trying to erect some type of program, trying to put in some, something into place. We spin our wheels trying to keep the lost people attending the church while what they really need is salvation in Jesus. We rack our brain and we spin our wheels of how to keep people and butts in the pews who are lost when what they need is salvation in Jesus. You don't think that that gospel proclamation is important? They're not going to care about the things of God. They're not going to care about fellowship. They're not going to care about coming and worshiping together if they don't know Jesus. Here's Peter's message, that there must be a, a ministry of proclamation to the whole counsel of God. That includes the hard sayings. That includes that I need repenting. There must be a hunger to hear all things that God has commanded. I want to know if I'm slipping, y'all. The truth of Jesus and the good news will keep you humble. And humility is found in the good news. Now, it is Jesus who is fully God and fully man. He is fully God and fully man simultaneously. I can't explain all the ins and outs. I know He is God, man, simultaneously in the same being. He died for the sins of the world in the most horrific way on the cross, a cruel cross, only to rise again on the third day. For anyone hearing this good news, it is humbling and brings to the forefront the proclamation. It brings it to light. Not only to preach the gospel, but then to live the gospel, to die and be forgotten, make much of Jesus while we still can. Sometimes, sometimes we think that we think a lot of ourselves. We think a lot of ourselves. We, we think that we deserve to be forgiven. We think that we earn being healed. We think that we earn the right to be saved. And nothing could be farther from the truth. And the Bible tells us there is none good, no, not one. So there is a danger of being prideful and puffed up, especially when we deeply reflect the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel. Ray Ellis wrote a, a book entitled North by Northeast. Now, there are several of these books out co-authored by Walter Cronkite. I know you've heard that name before, Walter Cronkite. Cronkite, he recalls the following incident, and you can almost hear his tone coming as he retells this story. He said, sailing back down the Mystic River in Connecticut and following the channel's tricky turns through an ex expanse of shallow water, I'm reminded of the time a buttload of young people. That's a Walter Cronkite reflection. I am reminded of the time a buttload, a boatload of young people <laughs> sped past us here. That's a tongue twister. Its occupants were shouting and waving their arms. I waved back in a cheery greeting, and my wife said, Do you know? what they are shouting why it was hello Walter and I replied and she said no it was not hello Walter they were shouting low water 
low water. Such are the pitfalls of egotism and puffing oneself up outside of the realm of humility. Such are the dangers of thinking too much of ourselves and our merits of salvation. And so again, I say preach or live out the gospel as we see reflected in the words of the Apostle Peter. Preach the gospel, live out the gospel, die and be forgotten. May what be, may the words that is reflected of Larry Stevens or, or you, when you're dead and gone, but yes, here's a man, here is a woman who made much of Jesus, who made much of Christ. Make much of Jesus while you still have the time. And be like Jesus. Seek to do good work at every opportunity available. Would you do that? Let's pray together.